Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, we have Andy Huang. He is the founder and CEO of Averon, which makes a gamified rowing machine. Uh, I want to get into the overall fitness space. It has been a really interesting few years for fitness. And I think actually Averon represents a really is sort of a synecdoche of the business because and we'll get into all this, but I know that you guys started B2B and then the pandemic happened and then you were like, well, we got to go D2C and that seemed to be a, a good business model. And I want to talk about just those, what you learned from that, how it's going now and what your plans for the future are. But Andy, how are you doing? Thank you for joining me. Yeah, Kale, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing very well and excited to uh, share my story. Absolutely. So first, uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the fitness space and what was the impetus for Averon? Yeah, great question. Um, it's always interesting because people ask me, am I a rower? Because, you know, I run a rowing company and uh, unfortunately I'm not a rower, but I think it's actually a benefit uh, because rowing is such a great modality. It engages so many of your muscles, it's easy on your joints, but uh, it's a very difficult exercise. And typically the rowing machine is designed for rowers. Uh, they're, design, they're not really designed for everyday individuals of different shapes and sizes. Um, so yeah, it's a, li- a little bit about rowing. Um, and I decided to start the business. I started it really in 2018, probably a little bit earlier before that is really when I was drumming up the idea. I've always had a passion for fitness. I've always had a passion for gaming. And I've always had a hatred for cardio. That's always been really challenging for me. I'm good at lifting. So you were so you were lifting before? Yeah, lifting a little bit of weights or more so being competitive, playing sports. And I, I was really competitive in martial arts. I competed in martial arts for over two decades. And um, the connected fitness products coming out at that time were very, you know, instructor led focused. And that really didn't resonate with me. Um, the gamification and being competitive, that really resonated with me. And combining it with a great modality that, um, you know, engages so many muscles and is easy on the joints. That's kind of um, the reason for the start of Averon. So what were you doing before you, you founded Averon? So before I found out, so I, I'm a business kid. So I, I graduated, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was born and raised in Toronto, uh, in Canada. And, uh, you know, typical childhood. I uh, grew up, went to business school uh, for my undergrad. Uh, worked in kind of operations for a couple of years at Frito-Lay, worked in sales, and then went and got my MBA. Um, and then kind of was tired of doing what I was doing. I really wanted to branch off and do something on my own, and it was the perfect opportunity. You said that you weren't a rower before. What, how would you describe in your initial conception of Averon who the target user was? Is it someone like you who like didn't know much about rowing, but wanted a, a simple machine. Who, who were you seeing as your target demographic? Yeah. So in the beginning, I really built the product for myself. It was something that I knew I would use. And I thought other people similar to me would use. Uh, so the ideal customer was a young, um, typically male uh, individual who was competitive and didn't have a lot of time and enjoyed fitness, but hated cardio. Um, but I'll kind of continue and say that that's not really who the product is for now. It's kind of evolved over time. Um, our, our biggest base of customers are typically a little bit older, um, in their 30s and 40s and 50s. They're a little more affluent. They typically have families. They have busy uh, lifestyles, so they don't have the time to do an hour Peloton class. They want to do something convenient at home. Um, and they're competitive. They used to play sports or they used to play video games. 
Got it. And correct me if I'm wrong, when you first launched, you were you were doing more of the B2B route, right? Yes. So uh, unlike a lot of other uh, companies in the space right now, we weren't venture-backed in the beginning. We bootstrapped. So that meant you know using my own savings and friends and family. And it's really hard to start a DTC company without A, having a ton of money uh, for advertising and technical support and customer service and all these other um, pieces of the business you need. Uh, and in, in addition, I didn't really have too much experience going to DTC. So it was kind of a necessity to pivot from B2B to uh, direct-to-consumer once COVID happened. Who were your first B2B customers? Yeah, our first customers were uh, what we call vertical markets. So you think of the end user being like hotels, uh, apartment buildings, country clubs. So we would sell to these resellers that would, um, you know, uh, sell cardio equipment and strength training, and they would just keep us as an additional line and sell to these vertical markets. Got it. Did you find that to be a helpful branding opportunity, or what? Did it re- things really take off when COVID hit and you you started getting D 2 C sales? I think the biggest thing that taught me, and I think why we're doing well in this climate, you know, it's it's a, a little turbulent at this time. Is it it um, helped us focus on the fundamentals of a business being bootstrapped and selling the B2B, you really need to have strong unit economics and you need to have strong fundamentals in your business. Uh, so we weren't burning a ton of cash because we didn't have much cash to burn. I think that's the biggest thing that we were able to pull out of, uh, you know, going to B2B and bootstrapping at first. So walk me through the switch to D2C. I imagine it was a necessity at the time because hotels were closing and uh, you didn't have customers. So how, how were you able to switch things and how quickly did it did it hit so that you weren't losing all of your money? Yeah, it was a it was a not a fun time. I remember in January <laughs> twenty twenty, we were we were and, and and for us at this time we were doing relatively well. So we were doing about a hundred thousand dollars in sales a month, say January twenty twenty, and um, you know it was it was good for a startup without having raised any capital. And then by you know the springtime, our sales had dropped down to four or five thousand dollars a month. And I remember at the end of 2020, um, I think we, like 2020 was a good year because we pivoted midway through, but we still lost, you know, I lost my own money because we hadn't raised any capital. I lost about a quarter million dollars, $300,000. So it's quite a bit of money. Uh, so the pivot wasn't easy. We found advisors, we researched as much as possible. You know, we really did, I wouldn't say we did the right things, but we just tried our best. And in 2021, you all then did raise money, correct? Yeah, early 2021, January, moving on to Y Combinator. That was our, uh, you know, that's when we first started. We stepped into the world of, of uh, venture capital and being venture-backed, and we raised pretty much all of our capital in that year. Walk me through how the business changed when you entered Y Combinator, when you had venture backing. What were some of the big fundamentals that you had to shift, and how did it change the overall, just the entire company, would you say? I love that you asked that question. Um, it's it's an interesting answer. So we pivoted to direct consumer in July of 2020, and you know sales were slow, but they started to pick up. Uh, we start we learned how to do uh, direct consumer marketing. We learned how to do email flows on our website, and we started improving slowly. Um, and so by the time November hit, we had a we had grown the direct consumer business quite a bit, and that's how we got into Y Combinator. But the interesting thing is that I've always tried to raise capital from uh, VCs. Uh, flew over to Silicon Valley, tried to book as many 
meetings as possible, was cold calling, was sending a ton of emails, and frankly, didn't really get anywhere with anyone. Maybe if I was lucky, I had a few investors that gave me a second meeting, um, but it was typically a no. And, and, and I understand it's, it's hard. You know, we weren't the first connected rower to try to raise capital. Um, we were probably the first to kind of come out, but we kind of took our time to, to raise that capital or, or it took us a long time. Um, and so we would approach all these VCs and, and you know, they would say, no, you're a hardware company, you're a consumer and you're late to the game. And, but as soon as we got into Y Combinator, those same, a lot of those same investors who said no to us and didn't give us more than five or 10 minutes of their time were asking us, hey, can we really participate in this round? So I find huh. that somewhat interesting. So did it change, being in Y Combinator changed your perception from being a hardware company to being a tech company, essentially? No, being a Y Combinator validates you that you are a real company and that someone should look <laughs> at you. I think that's the most important piece. Um, and Y Combinator really teaches you that they do a great job. I think, I wouldn't say this is like the only thing they do, but this is one of the best things they do, but they, they show you how to, how to create an, an amazing story. Um, because story is super important, especially as an early stage company when you're raising capital. Uh, you don't really have much of a business. You just have a couple of people and a couple of sales. So building a, an amazing story that makes it sound like you'll be a billion dollar company in five years. They do an excellent job of that. Got it. Got it. I wanted to go into story and you're talking about story from the investor perspective. And so it sounds like you were able, they, they were able to train you to or help you to tell that story so that uh, you were doing that. But also, I imagine the story that you tell customers going from B2B to D2C is very different. So how has, how have you changed what Avron is so that more people, so that they understand and you were able to grow your sales? Yeah, that's a great question as well. Cause you know, when we first launched, we tried to go hard into gaming. You know, we are a gaming rower that uh, is fun and exciting and it's addictive because gaming psychology works. And the truth is, I think it does work, but people don't love gaming. Even though 66% of Americans play games, that's what the stat says, um, mm-hmm. being a gaming-only rower doesn't resonate with people. It does for the B2B space because you're putting this rower in like a YMCA or you know a hotel uh, gym where there's a lot of different types of people coming in. But when you sell to consumers, you need, really need to resonate with the consumers. So we've pivoted... Um, and there's reasons why we pivoted as well, but now we're more of a fit fitness entertainment company. So we don't just have games, we have streaming services, we have scenic destinations, we have coach programs, but what we do uh, is bring it all together using gaming. So we use game psychology and design to kind of uh, make all those different types of experiences and content gamified. So I'll give you a, a really quick example. For every minute that you row watching Netflix or in any of our uh, different experiences, you earn one experience coin and you can use those experience coins to unlock workouts, to unlock backgrounds and characters and upgrades in different work- workouts, different games. And that's how we kind of, uh, one piece of how we kind of gamify it. So do you find your customers are looking for the gamification part of things first or for the rowing part of things first? Like how are, and I guess the, the bigger question is how have you approached customer acquisition? Because um, it's a pretty, you know, it's an expensive product compared to say like, a piece of weight. I, the cheapest one is $1,800, right? Yes. Yeah, it is not uh, an in, uh, inexpensive product. Um, so the way we kind of focus our attention now is varieties. We found that variety is really important for our customers. Um, if you look at the data from our, our uh, usage, there isn't any category that 
uh, a category of content that takes up more than 25% of usage. So for example, we have, you know, streaming. No one ever uses the rower more than 25%. 25% of the usage is never more, uh, for streaming is never more than 25%. Um, so we've really leaned into that. So we found that people really wanted variety. So we started to come up with the coach programs and virtual rows. And we do have gaming and that's a, a core of our business. We do have like very intense gaming. We're running away from zombies and uh, shooting down pirate ships. Uh, but variety has been the key for us. Do people for the games have to use your machine or can they like similar to like Peloton where you can just get the app uh, and then not necessarily have a Peloton bike? They need to use our roar for the time being. Um, and I think that's something that we, we definitely want to do. But uh, yeah, we use our rowing machine because of two reasons. For one, we want the metrics to really match up. It's you know, doing a, a live class is a little bit different because it doesn't really matter if the two bikes aren't the same. But when you're competing with someone and you're playing a game with someone, the stats need to be exactly the same. Um, and then in addition, we have other features within our app, within our machine, like variable resistance. So if you're running through an area of fog in one of our games, the resistance will automatically pick up and we get a little bit more challenging. So there's all these little things that we do that require us to use our rowing machine. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Do you find, and you're, you're sort of hinting at this, but if you have any hard stats or just things that can show it, because I find this fascinating, where I feel like fitness is the thing that people spend a lot of money on and then it becomes, you know, a clothing rack, uh, you know, six months down the line. With the gam gamified aspect of things, do you are you able to see, or there are certain types of people who do certain types of programming on Avaron that are more likely to come back because they're so hooked into that program? Yeah, and so there's a few different pieces I can I can, I can say on that. So we have really good engagement and really low churn, and I think there's a few reasons for that. For one, our content is typically a little bit shorter. So when you get on the rower, because it's such an intense workout and you're gaming, you're only working out for five or 10 minutes at a time. The average workout, the average total workout length is less than 20 minutes. And the actual uh, individual workout that they're doing is typically five minutes. So you're doing like a five minute game, another five minute game, maybe 10 minutes, you're watching YouTube or doing something. Uh, and I think for that reason, it's a lot easier to get on throughout the day. Um, the second piece is we do use gaming psychology. So all these like experience coins and these monthly challenges and achievements and badges and leaderboards, these, all these experiences, high scores, they make you want to come back and, you know, play again, play against your best score in time machine mode. You can race against the past versions of yourself and friends. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. So walk me through the last year. Cause uh, I wanted to get into this, and you, you sort of hinted at this at the start, but it's been a, a bumpy time to be a, a fitness company just because, I don't know, you, you, 2020, you pivoted to DTC. A lot of people were stuck at home. I imagine, you know, that led to an influx of interest. Uh, and like, I personally, I remember I bought weights during COVID, and it was impossible to find weights. And it was like, felt like I was tr tr seeking out like a black market dealer to get any type of fitness equipment sent to my house at the time. But like things have sort of leveled out. Uh, what have you experienced demand wise over the last year? Has it still been pretty consistent or has it been more difficult to seek out customers? It's definitely been more difficult to seek out customers. And I think, you know, for us, we, and that's why being a bootstrap company at first was important uh, because we understood the fundamentals of business and having strong unit economics. I feel that a lot of our competitors or just a lot of people in the connected fitness space 
Capital was so cheap for such a long time that it was easy to raise a ton of money. And that meant you could hire way more people at higher salaries and spend a lot more money on marketing. Even though your margins were, you know, 30%, you still had a payback period of X months with the subscription. But today, obviously, it's a lot tougher getting those customers. So, um, you know, we're in a good place because we have strong fundamentals, which means our, our margins are very strong and we can afford to lose a little bit more money on the initial sale or we can afford to spend a little bit more money on the initial sale to acquire that customer. But the, but the landscape has definitely changed from what, where, you know, I might be biased, but I think connected fitness is here to stay. I think people, not everybody wants to drive to a boutique gym, find parking, you know, it's somewhat inconvenient and it's also expensive. So, so I do feel, and most of our investors feel that connected fitness is here to stay. It's definitely probably pulled forward a lot of demand. Uh, so a lot of people bought connected fitness. And so we're seeing a slowdown, but if we can weather the storm, I think for the next year or two, um, we'll be in good shape after that. You mentioned that you didn't go on a hiring spree compared to other companies. How many employees do you currently have? We do have quite a few. We have 60 employees. So not... Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a real company. Yeah. We do have quite a, quite a few employees, but we're doing really well uh, financially. We're, we're in a really good spot. That's great. So talk to me about the marketing front, because you mentioned how that's gotten a little bit more gnarly of late. So what are where are you... Where are you focusing on marketing wise? What's working the best and how like is, are you finding more cost effective ways to acquire customers than before or sort of what are you thinking about in terms of on, on the marketing front? Yeah, that is, you know, I ask that question to every founder that I speak with because <laughs> we're trying to find the secret sauce as well. Um, so there's no easy answers to that. Um, so you know, one thing that we do that I think all companies do really well is we have a growth team and the growth team is responsible for doing A-B testing on everything from our website to see if we can improve conversions to uh, finding new channels. So, you know, this year we're continuing to test. We're testing podcasts. We're testing um, connected TV um, in addition to doing all the regular stuff that we're doing. Unfortunately, and, you know, I've kind of spilled the beans uh, what's worked so far is being the traditional channels of Facebook, Instagram, and Google and YouTube. That's really worked the best, even though we're attempting to find these additional channels. Um, and when I say it's working, it's working, but is it as affordable to acquire a customer 12 months ago? It's way more expensive to acquire customers. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of working through the problem. We're trying to be as efficient as possible and, and discover new channels. But yeah, there really isn't a secret uh, sauce or ingredient. It's a lot of A-B testing and trying to improve incrementally every day. You said you were doing connected TV. Have you been doing that for a while? Has any of that worked? I feel like I hear really mixed things about connected TV and I would love to hear it from the perspective of, uh, uh, you know, a more higher price tag, um, item. Yeah. Um, so we did do a small test last year and the, yeah, a pretty small test cause we're quite small and it didn't work out last year. So we're doing a much bigger test this year now that we have more budget. The first thing that I will say with a high ticket item where it's really challenging for companies like us is because attribution is very difficult for a high ticket item. No one just sees your product and makes a purchase within a day. They are mixed, you know, so we have customers that have waited over 12, 18 months to purchase from us. So they are looking at the funnel. They're looking at PR, um, you know, our ads, they're reading reviews. They're doing their own research on our website. There's just so many different 
um, channels to reach that customer. So even if connected TV were to work, it's hard to definitively say that, you know, it works, works. I want to talk about sort of product expansion, which correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've stayed pretty tried and true with the rower. You have, you have, you have like three different um, types of rowers. Is that correct? Two different types of rowers. Two different. Okay. Sorry yeah. about that. Two different types of rowers. So what is that? Do you ever see yourself expanding beyond the rower and going into more broad fitness or is Averon solely a rowing company? Yeah. And the, and the best way I'll answer that question is we actually hired our developers and started building the product before we even picked what machine we were going to use. <laughs> um, and we landed on rowing because of its, it is a great modality and it's one of the fastest growing modalities. But we consider ourselves a fitness entertainment company. So if you look at our content, like our games, as an example, they're not rowing games. They're running away from zombies, shooting pirate ships, blasting bugs, that type of story stuff so you know we're starting with rowing as the first modality because i think it is an amazing modality but the long-term vision and the plan is to go beyond rowing and and that you know ties back to the story at the very beginning like you need to paint a story that you're going to be a multi-billion dollar company to your investors and rowing is an amazing modality and a a great sport but it's probably not big enough to be that multi-billion dollar uh, company and so you need to expand so when you have such a focus on sort of that gamified and sort of, I don't know if silly is the right word, but like not necessarily in reality part of things, uh, you know, are you, who do you find is the demographic that usually buys it? Is it, you know, that it seems like that would be like maybe a male in his twenties or thirties, or are you finding that many people like escaping zombies? Great question. So back to our data, if you actually look at our data, there's a significant percentage of people who buy it because gaming is an aspect of what they uh, they think they like, right? So they're like, you know, I like the gaming side, but is it enough for me to spend $2,000 on this machine? Probably not. But the fact that they have streaming services and they have coach pl- classes and they have scenic rowing, I think it has enough variety that I'm interested in buying the product. And that's why we don't go too hard into the gaming. Uh, you know, we make sure people understand that we use gaming psychology and design, but we're not a gaming rower. But what we found is once you start using the rower, um, you know, one of the biggest, one of the, the best features that we have is something called live workouts where you can join other people in group workouts. So if you're playing a game, I could jump in midway through your game and play with you. And we found that the percentage of people who try these multiplayer games and these gaming experiences is, you know, mediocre at first, but by month 9, 10, 11, 12, they're addicted to it. They love the gaming aspect. So yeah, to kind of summarize, we don't really focus too hard on the gaming at first, but we know that gaming is what gets people attached to the product and uh, continue using the product. Got it. And so are 100% of your sales or the majority of your sales still DTC or is B2B still a part of the business or how are you viewing diversification in terms of sales channels? Yeah, B2B is still a small part of our business. Um, it's, you know, that's kind of where we started. So we've always kept like a lot of our resellers and, uh, you know, we still go to the same expos and trade shows. Uh, but it's a very small part of our business. We wanted to grow quickly, but obviously in the past, you know, two years, the direct consumer market has blown up and it's been quite affordable to acquire customers. But now that we're in this new economic environment where acquiring consumers is challenging, I think a lot of companies, including us, are pivoting and trying to put more emphasis on the B2B side of the business, um, really to balance out, you know, acquisition costs and to diversify our risk. That's sort of what I wanted to get into is it seems like, especially, and this is, you know, it's a variety of different subsets of, of 
brands, but it seems like DTC was huge two years ago. And now because of the rising costs, they're all trying to figure out a way that they can sort of supplement that with B2B. How, what is your focus in terms of the B2B side of things? Is it working with those same resellers? Are you seeking out direct relationships with say boutique hotels or something like that? What, how, what, what do you think is the real opportunity there? The first thing I'll say is that B2B is not easy. The sales cycle is extremely long. And to give you a perspective, we could sell, you know, two rowers to an apartment complex, or we could sell 100 rowers to each individual unit within that apartment. So the upsides of focusing on B2B isn't, you know, it isn't great. But once you secure a good B2B base and you have a strong base of resellers, you're selling to, you know, a certain hotel chain, it's almost like acquisition cost is down to zero. So we don't expect our B2B business to skyrocket and and take our business to the next level because I just don't think there's enough volume in that side of the business. But where I do think it's going to help is to balance the business and help us acquire customers affordably so that our, you know, net numbers at the end of the year make a lot of sense to our investors. How do you, because you said, you know, you know, you said, I think you said, obviously I'm biased, but I think Connected Fitness is here to stay. Where, where, how do you see it evolving just currently now that we're in sort of a trough period uh, with the economy and what, like, what, what do you think the, how do you think the industry will shake out in the year to come? Great question. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about the, the economy in, in some ways because it's not great seeing our acquisition costs increase and it more challenging to acquire customers. But I do think there was a, a little bit too much money in the market and that made competing a bit challenging. Um, so I've already seen a couple of companies, not direct competitors to us, but other connected fitness companies. And some of them are my friends where they're going to close their doors. So there's going to be a lot of consolidation and there's going to be a lot of companies that just won't make it because they don't have the right fundamentals. So it's exciting to me because if we do make it through this period, which I think will be a challenging period. The companies that come out of this period are going to be really strong and growth will be a lot quicker once we exit because there'll be less competitors in the space. What are you thinking about in terms of shifting the business or anything so that you you ensure that you will be able to make it through this period? You know, one of the I feel like it's become a, a big example that didn't quite work out. But like Peloton, for example, started focusing on you know lower price things uh, and also focusing on its software side. And you could you could have a conversation for hours about whether or not that really helped the business out. But how do you think about this as a founder who has you know a product that has that uses both software and hardware? Yeah, I think the first piece is controlling our cost, and I think. You know, I, I, I love Peloton as a brand. I think they've done great things. I, I just don't understand how they hired so many people um, <laughs> in such a short period of time. So and you're so, telling me that you're not going to buy an entire warehouse uh, anytime no, soon? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah. And, you know, we have 60 employees. I think we've built a great product. But I think at their peak, they had like 10,000 employees or 11,000 employees. It was, it was, it was crazy. So... Um, you know, when we're going through a rough patch like that, when you have 10, 11,000 employees, it's just really hard for any business to maintain that much, um, you know, expense in, ter- in terms of salary. So we've done, you know, even though we've grown to 60 employees, we've done it intelligently where we know our, you know, we're in a position where we, where we call default to live. If we were to cut ad spend, we know that our reoccurring revenue is enough to just cover our expenses where we can stay alive. And I think that's really important. Um, and that gives us comfort at night to go to sleep, which is I don't I wouldn't need to lay off any of my employees. And we haven't done any layoffs because we have a, a strong 
um, uh, grasp on our, our cost and our revenue right now. So that's like, you know, uh, of, uh, a part of, you know, how we are able to maintain, you know, an economic business. Makes sense. Well, we're almost running out of time, but I thought I'd end on a brighter note or, or, you know, not just the doom and gloom. But what are you thinking about in terms of like, what, what are your big goals for expanding the Avron business uh, for the year to come? Is that gonna, you know, you mentioned how there might be modalities down the line, you mentioned how maybe there might be a way that it's software only. So what are you thinking about in terms of what you really want to accomplish this year? I think there are three types of businesses out there. I like the bucket businesses and like three businesses, your business that's either driven by marketing, either operations or product. So like examples would be Xerox was a company that shifted and became a marketing company. And Amazon is a company that focuses on operations. We're a company that focuses on product. So at this time, we're noticing that our competitors are doing layoffs. And part of those layoffs is engineering because engineering is that huge cost, cost center. For us, we are doubling down in engineering. So we just hired, I think, three engineers last week. So we are doubling down on engineering so that we can build the best product possible. And that's going to allow us to catch up and even surpass a lot of our competitors and really put us in front of everybody. And that's kind of our focus really this year is um, improve the product in terms of more amazing content, more amazing features. And I won't say it yet, but maybe more modalities down, down the road. Very exciting. Well, Andy, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Gail. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.